Hi, I'm Pastor Kyle Carlson, and you're listening to a message from Imprint Community Church in Northeast Baltimore. I pray that this message will encourage you in your walk with Jesus Christ. Visit us online at imprintcommunity.org and worship with us in person on Sundays at 10 a.m. at Seven Oaks Elementary School. Enjoy the message. Well, a couple months ago, uh, a young man from Baltimore, about 20 years old or so, graduated from Parkville High, uh, was shot and killed in our community. Sean and Carrie, members of our church, actually had each known this young man, had him in classes uh, as a student before. And to hear them reflect and talk about what they knew of this young man, it, it, it didn't make sense. Like this death didn't make sense. He was bright, he was hopeful, he was respectful, he had his whole life ahead of him. And Yet he was so, it was so rudely interrupted and taken away from him. We're left thinking, what happened? What went wrong? A couple of years ago, there was an elementary age child in our community who passed away. And Lindsay and I attended uh, his funeral at a local church. And I will never forget the mournful wailing of the boy's mother as the casket was carried out of the church. The family followed close behind and her just loud sobs and desperate cries were difficult to bear, difficult to hear. This isn't fair. This isn't right. Life is not supposed to be snuffed out like this. That's the the sense that we have when something like this happens. I'm sure that you have your own experiences with this intruder, with this unwelcome guest, and it probably leaves you with questions like, why has this happened? Why do people die? What does the reality of death tell us about God, about ourselves, about our world. Can anything be done to put an end to it? Well, good news. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. You know, and maybe the curse is nowhere seen and seen more clearly and felt more bitterly than in the curse of death. If you have a copy of God's Word, I invite you to turn to Genesis chapter 3. In this series of messages, we've been looking at the curse that God placed upon the world and on humanity because of their sin, because of of human rebellion against God's holiness and His law. God responded in judgment. And in Genesis chapter 3, we read of the fall itself, that is where Adam and Eve were tempted by the devil in the form of a serpent, and they ate the forbidden fruit that God had told them, you may not eat of this tree or you shall surely die. And then we find as God comes into the garden and finds Adam and Eve and questions them, we find his reply to their disobedience in chapter 3, starting in about verse 14. So we've looked at various aspects of this curse 
over the last several weeks and how the coming of Jesus answers the problem of the curse. So we've looked at pain and childbearing. We've looked at broken relationships. We've looked at the cursed earth, the broken world, and the way that it would make labor work painful and frustrating. Today we get to maybe the one that is the most obvious and the one that perhaps we feel the most deeply, and that is the curse of death. Look with me beginning in verse 19 of chapter 3. Actually, I'm going to start in verse 17 just to get a little bit of context. So God is now speaking to Adam. He's spoken to Eve, now he's turned his attention to Adam. And he says, beginning in 17, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat breath till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. You see it right there in verse 19 the curse given. The curse given. You are dust, and to dust you shall return. What does that mean? It helps to stop and consider what is death. We experience it, we see it, we feel it, but what is it? What does death mean? There's two aspects of death, if you're just trying to get a definition of what it really is. And at the core of each of these aspects is a separation. There's, a, there's physical death, which is the separation of the soul from the body. That animating force, that invisible animating force that gives life to a body. When it is interrupted, when it disappears, the body falls still and lifeless. That is a separation of soul from body. The soul of a person has been removed from the person's body, and this is what we call physical death. If you've ever stood over the casket of someone who's recently passed, perhaps in a, in a viewing for the family or an open casket funeral, this is why they just don't really seem like themselves, Right? It, it, it doesn't seem right. They're like, they're still, they're cold. They don't really look like themselves. There's, it's like they're just a shell of who they were because their soul is not there. They aren't there. You're looking at the body. You're looking at the face of your loved one, but he's not there, right? The soul has been separated from the body. That's why it just doesn't feel right. They're not there anymore. This is what we're talking about in, in the realm of physical death. It's the separation of the soul from the body. The other aspect of death is spiritual death, which is essentially the separation of the soul from God. 
a human being is intimately connected to God as his life source. Back in Genesis chapter 2, when God created Adam, it said he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And so the very life that Adam and Eve were given is this, this, this integral connection to God, this, this life source, this flow from God to human beings. You know, it's possible to be physically alive and spiritually dead. And in fact, that's the condition that all human beings are in since the fall, apart from God's intervention. If God doesn't step in and change something about us, we are physically alive, but spiritually dead. Paul says it this way in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, you were dead in the sins and trespasses in which you once walked. You were a dead man walking. You were walking, you were alive, but you were spiritually dead in sins and trespasses. What does that mean? It means your soul is not connected anymore to God. It might help to think about the analogy of a flower. A flower grows from the earth, and there's this stem that connects it to its life source under the soil. And as soon as you cut that stem of a flower, it is disconnected from its life source, right? In the analogy, it would be spiritually dead. Its soul has been disconnected from God. That is, it is no longer connected to its source of life. It still has the appearance of life for a while, right? You cut a flower and you go put it in a vase in water, and it looks really pretty on your table for a few days. But what happens? It starts to wither. It starts to turn colors. It gets hard and crunchy, and eventually its death becomes clear. So in the same way, human beings, after the fall, are spiritually removed from God, separated from God, even though their bodies continue. And so we walk about in a form of life, at least physically alive, but our soul is disconnected from God. And that's essentially what happens here in Genesis chapter 3. Now, did this happen to Adam and Eve? You bet. God assured them that it would. In the day that you eat of that fruit, you will surely die. But it's a little bit like a flower that's been cut off from its stem at first, because they don't immediately drop dead, right? Their physical bodies do not immediately die. In fact, we know that they live for many more years and have many children, and they die in old age. But immediately, there is a separation of soul from God. There is a spiritual death that takes place the moment that they fall into rebellion. And you can see it uh, all over the place as God begins, as they respond to their own sin. And as God comes onto the scene, because immediately after they eat the fruit, their eyes were opened and they they realized that they were naked. And now they're ashamed. Now they're going to cover their nakedness. Before they had been naked and unashamed. As soon as they eat the fruit, they're ashamed. Shame comes right away. The soul that's connected to God doesn't feel ashamed. That is a result of an expression of spiritual death. They go finding fig leaves to sew clothing for themselves. When God comes to find them, what are they doing? They're hiding. They're afraid. They're ashamed and they're afraid of God now. The soul that's connected to God is not afraid of God. 
He's father. He's friend. It's the soul that has been separated from God because of sin that fears that God will punish, that God is out to get them. And so they're hiding among the trees and the bushes. God comes to them. And they say, I was afraid. And so I hid. And so when God asks them what happened, nobody takes responsibility. They immediately start pointing their fingers at one another. They're blame shifting. They're avoiding responsibility. And this is another aspect of spiritual death. It's another expression that their souls are no longer connected to God. Because now they're turning against God himself, the woman that you gave me. And they're turning against one another. The serpent did it. No, the the woman was here. She gave me the fruit. They are immediately spiritually dead. You can't see that death happen, but you see its effects in the way that they behave, the way that they speak, the way that they treat God, the way that they treat one another. And so death came immediately in the sense of a spiritual death, a disconnection of the soul, separation of the soul from God. And eventually physical death would come. Man was made from the dust, and to dust he will return. You will eat bread by the sweat of your face until you return to the ground. Do you think that's what God had in mind for Adam and Eve? That they would one day be joined to the ground again? That their bodies would literally become dust? That maybe they would even be buried in the earth? Do you think that's what God had in mind when he first placed Adam and Eve in the garden? I don't think so. It is a result of sin, and specifically God's curse upon humanity because of sin. You will die. From dust you came, to dust you return. Lest we get too downtrodden here and thinking that God is harsh here, please observe the mercy and kindness of God In verse 21, the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. What does it take for a garment of skin to be created? It takes a death. In the day that you eat of the fruit, you will surely die. But who's the first one to die? It's not Adam and Eve, is it? It's another. It's an animal that dies in the place of Adam and Eve, so that he can cover their shame. This is such a beautiful and clear foreshadowing of the provision that God would make for sinners in Jesus Christ, that another one would die in our place so that our shame might be covered. So even as God responds to rebellion and offense, and let's be straight, insult to him and his holiness, He doesn't just judge. He doesn't just cast out. He provides. And he even gives a hint that there's mercy to come. There's redemption and healing and life to come. Praise God for his mercy. So the curse is given. Death comes. You die spiritually immediately. You will die physically eventually You are separated from God. Your existence, your life is different than it was ever intended to be. Well, the news gets even worse because the curse spreads. 
The curse doesn't just stay with Adam and Eve. Would have been enough for Adam and Eve's sake to experience that kind of separation from God and then eventual physical death if they had known that their family wouldn't have to bear the same burden, that the curse would end with them. But it doesn't. It extends to every human being born of woman since that day. Romans 5.12 says, Sin came into the world through one man and death through sin. Adam being the one man who's responsible for plunging humanity into sin. And through that sin comes death. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. Everybody experiences death. Death comes to all men. It spreads to all. Romans 6.23, the famous verse says, the wages of sin is death, which is a pretty interesting metaphor if you think about it. Wages is a paycheck. That's what you earn for your work. So if your job is sin, then at the end of the week, you go to get your paycheck and it's death. That's what every human being after Adam experiences. We sin, we die. The curse of sin and death. Paul calls it the law of sin and death throughout the book of Romans. It has spread to everyone. And listen, it's so you don't even have you don't even need a Bible verse to know that. We've all been touched by death in some way or many ways. We all know someone, maybe have even been extremely close to someone who has passed away. There's the sorrow and heartache of loss. Goodbyes, like I said earlier, are never easy, whether expected or not. Whether they come early in someone's life unexpectedly and suddenly, or they come at the end of a long life. A goodbye never feels right. A goodbye is never easy. Then there's questions that don't have any satisfying answers. Why did this happen? Right? How could God allow this? You've probably wrestled with questions along those lines before. There's no answers to those questions that feel right. Even if you can point to their biblical or theological truth, it just rings hollow because death is wrong. Death is not supposed to feel right. Death is an interruption. It's an intrusion. It's a distortion of God's design. He didn't create us to die. He created us to live. Even those of us who haven't experienced the death of, of a close loved one are still affected by death in a lot of ways, perhaps by others we are close to who have experienced death in their family or among their friends. Even the fear of death. You know, Hebrews 2.15 says, or Hebrews 2.15 says that the fear of death has kept us in lifelong slavery. The fear of death affects us all the time. We take all manner of safety precautions, seat belts fastened, doors locked, etc. Why? We're trying to guard against bad things happening that will eventually lead to death. Drive the speed limit, be safe on the road, right? 
We are trying to avoid death. Health insurance, life insurance, what are those? Those are safeguards against the possibility of death. Moms and dads, if you've had an infant in your house before, maybe you're familiar with that brief moment of panic when you wake up in the middle of the night and the house is so quiet and you just have to go check on your baby to make sure he's still breathing. I still experience that sometimes. If I wake up in the morning and it's real quiet, I get nervous. I got to go look. Why? That's not the way it's supposed to be. We shouldn't have to fear that death is waiting around the corner. And yet, that is the life that we live. That is the predicament that we're in. We're racked with fear and anxiety at the very prospect of death. Thoughts about potential hypothetical catastrophe that might strike. All of this points to the simple fact that death is not, as some might say, a natural part of life. I've heard people say that before and trying to comfort others. Death is just natural. It's just a part of the cycle of life. Just accept it. Just embrace it. It's not natural. Death is unnatural to its core. Death is burdensome and terrible. God did not create us to die, but to live. That every human life since Eden ends in death should not be something that we just accept and learn to cope with. It should be something that we grieve and abhor. We should hate death. It's wrong. It's a distortion of God's design. It is a curse that we bear. When Madeline was very young, maybe... I don't know, six or seven or so. We, we lived in Houston, and there was this little playground just up the road from our house, and so we would often walk there to play. And I remember one day, just Madeline and I had walked to the playground, and in this playground were all these big, tall trees, and there had been nests of herons. You know what a heron is? It's like a real big-bodied bird, wide wingspan, just this big, hefty like, I'd never seen a bird that large up close before, really. But they were all over these trees in this playground. And I remember this one day that I was at the playground with Madeline. We were maybe walking to one piece of playground equipment. And we heard behind us, just a few feet, a loud crack, a thud. And we both were startled and turned to see a baby heron who had fallen, I don't know, 40 feet from its nest and landed on the concrete below the tree. And we turned to see that it was writhing and bloodied and struggling for breath. And it was immediately apparent to me there's nothing to be done here. I'm not, there's no bird rescue that I can do here. Madeline, of course, was asking, can we do something? Is there, can we help it? And I knew that the answer was no. And so Madeline and I just sat down on the ground just a couple of feet away from this dying heron as it took its last breaths and then it was still and lifeless and I just remember thinking and feeling so helpless in the face of that and I know this is just a bird right I get that this bird isn't made in the image of God and it doesn't have you know it doesn't go to the prom and play bridge and things like that I get that but this was not right right this was an interruption of God's design 
God created human beings and he created animals and creatures of all kinds to live and to be beautiful and to express his glory and to be in harmonious relationship with him and with one another. And here lies this dying baby heron on the ground in front of us. It's not natural. Don't buy into that lie that death is just a natural part of life. It is as unnatural as it can be. And it has spread to everyone. Every human being experiences death around him and eventually will himself die. The Bible says it is appointed to each man once to die and then comes judgment. So if man's biggest problem is death, then his deepest need is resurrection. If death visits all men, then what they need is new life. What they need is someone who can resuscitate a dead soul and breathe new life into it. Praise God, it's Christmas. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. Where the curse of death, the sting of death, the fear of death hovers over us and affects us and and. And, and makes us bend in sorrow and remorse and in anxiety, he comes to bring blessing. He comes to redeem. So the curse was given, the curse spread, and in Jesus Christ, the curse is reversed. A few verses from Scripture to illustrate this for us. Galatians 3, I love the way that Paul says this in Galatians three thirteen. Says Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. That's a citation from the book of Deuteronomy. The, the curse being that if someone were crucified and left to rot out on the, that cross, that they were under a curse. They were seen as accursed by God. And so inciting that verse, cursed is everyone who's hanged on a tree, he applies the curse to Jesus. Jesus himself becomes a curse for us so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. That's any non-Jewish person. So that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Jesus Christ became a curse for us so that we might know his blessing. In John chapter 11, I'll actually have you turn there. If you, in John chapter 11, uh, Jesus' friend Lazarus has just passed away. He's entered the town of Bethany where, his, where Lazarus' family lives, and Lazarus is buried in a tomb where he's been there for four days. And Lazarus' sister greets Jesus with tears. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. And in verse 25 of of John 11, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die die. I'm the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. He doesn't say, 
death is out of the way. He just says it doesn't last forever. It's not the end of the story, right? Though he die, yet shall he live. He will continue on and on living in eternity through faith in Jesus Christ. I am the resurrection and the life. How do I get this eternal life? Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he asks her very plainly, do you believe this? I think that's a question he would ask each one of us. Do you believe that Jesus Christ has taken the curse of death upon himself and become that curse for us so that in faith, by faith in him, we might live forever? Do you believe this? Hebrews 2, 9. We see him, that's Christ, who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Sin comes into the world and death spreads to all men because of Adam. And now through Jesus Christ, who tastes death for everyone, life. Life comes in its place. Resurrection comes in its place. Just as sin spread through Adam, so life spreads through Jesus Christ. Paul makes that very same argument in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. You don't need to turn there. But the point is Jesus came into the world to bear our curse. And the curse may be the most powerful and painful and personal aspect of the curse is death. And Jesus took death upon himself. Jesus actually died. Jesus went to a cross where he was killed, not for his own wrongdoing, because he was innocent, but for ours. He took our sins upon himself, and he went into the earth in death. That should have been us. He took our penalty, and he took our curse. He took our death. And you know, they didn't stay there. He rose from the dead. He defeated death. He shook off the chains of the grave so that everyone who believes in him, though he die, yet shall he live. Because Jesus bore our curse and died in our place, death has become a vehicle for life. Self-denial and this daily dying that Jesus and Paul speak to us about lead to real and lasting life. So yes, we die. Our bodies die. There's a physical death that will come. But the soul connected to God through faith lives on. And eventually, when Jesus returns and there's a resurrection, we'll be reunited with bodies. And guess what? Ain't gonna be these feeble, frail, arthritic, like back problem bodies. They're going to be whole. They're going to be strong. They're going to be healthy. They're going to be like Jesus's 
body when he was resurrected. Listen, this is why Christian funerals contain both mourning and rejoicing. There is truly an element of sorrow and grief where we recognize the unnatural intrusion of death upon a human life and into a human family. And there is this incredible, faith-filled recognition that because Jesus Christ lived and died and rose and bore our curse, that this one who was trusting in Jesus, he looks dead, but he's not. He's alive. He's more alive than he's ever been. He's with the Lord Jesus. He's full. He's complete. There's both grief and hope because of Jesus Christ's reversal of our curse. Death is not the end. One of my favorite verses to to consider in times of, of death and sorrow is Psalm 116, 15, which says, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. And at first that sounds weird. Why does God rejoice at the death of his saints? But if you think about it, it's because it takes their death to lead to life. It takes the vehicle of physical death to get them to the other side, to where they're with God forever, uninterrupted. Sin is gone. Pain is gone. Sorrow is gone. We're whole in his presence. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Paul could even say in Philippians 1.21 that death is gain. To live is Christ. To die is gain. It'd be good for me to die. Why? Because I'm with Jesus. I'm alive forever, unhindered, unshackled, and unfettered by all the burdens and sins and sorrows and hardships that this life brought to me. I'm with Christ forever. There's a hymn that says, It is not death to die, to leave this weary road, to join the saints who dwell on high, who found their home with God. It is not death to close the eyes long dimmed by tears, to wake in joy before your throne, delivered from our fears. Death is not the end. Death is unnatural. Death is an interruption. Death is is an intrusion. But by God's grace and mercy in Jesus Christ, death has become the vehicle for true life, an eternal life in his presence. The curse has been reversed. And one day, the curse will be entirely removed. The curse will be gone, not even a memory. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, which is probably which is the most kind of extended reflection on resurrection in the Bible. Paul says this in verse 49, just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, who's the man of dust? Adam. He was made from dirt. We have borne his image in all of its brokenness and all of its messiness and all of its curse. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. 
When Jesus returns and he gathers his people to himself, we will be like him. We will have new whole bodies. We will no longer bear the image of this dust man. We will bear the image of the God man. Bella read these verses for us earlier, but in in Revelation chapter 21. I find it very fitting that the Bible essentially ends with this reflection. It ends with this vision, this forward-looking vision of an eternal, glorious kingdom where God has gathered his people to himself and removed the brokenness of the world. Revelation 21 verse 4 says that God will wipe away every tear from our eyes and death shall be no more. Can you even imagine, just for a moment, imagine a life that is not stained by death. There's no fear of death to come. There's no sorrow and mourning over death that has occurred. Because he says next, neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. When the kingdom of God comes in its fullness at the return of Christ, the curse will be gone, which is why it says in the very next chapter, Revelation 22, verse 3, no longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be nothing accursed in the kingdom of God. The life that we live with all of its hardship and sorrow and frustration and turmoil and disappointment and mourning and grieving gives way to a life of joy, endless joy and love and peace. Friends, this is yours in Jesus Christ. This is yours in Jesus. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. Wherever death rears its ugly head, Jesus comes to redeem it, to change it, to bear the burden with you, and ultimately to remove it from your presence. Let me give you a few thoughts, closing thoughts, kind of like, so what? Like, what, what do we do in response to these truths? The first one is that it's okay to grieve. It's okay to grieve. Don't buy nonsense from anybody who tries to tell you that sadness and sorrow and grief is like not Christian or not godly or you're not really trusting God if you're grieving or mourning. I've heard that kind of nonsense before from people who profess to be Christians. It's nonsense. It's not true. Grieve death. It's not natural. It's not good. It's not right. It's not God's plan. Grieve it. Don't be ashamed of your tears. They're right and good. They're appropriate. It's okay to grieve, mourn the loss of loved ones, mourn the very fact that death even exists. It's okay to grieve. Jesus himself was called man of sorrows and acquainted with griefs. 
If it's not Christian to grieve, then Jesus needs a new title. It's okay to grieve. Number two, embrace the eternal hope of the gospel. The good news that Jesus took your curse upon himself. That Jesus lived and died and rose to reverse our curse. And and has secured for us the reality of eternal life. And I'll ask you, just like Jesus asked Martha, do you believe this? Are you trusting that Jesus has taken your curse upon himself and is offering eternal life if you'll just believe? Do you believe this? And let that truth soothe your fears and answer those doubts and anxieties that you have. Consider this, the very worst thing that could happen to you, death, has already been remedied in Christ. The very worst thing that can happen to you is really just a vehicle to get you to eternal life with God. If you're trusting in Christ, you have nothing to fear. Embrace the eternal hope of the gospel. Third, be ready to die. Get ready to die. We know that death is going to come for all of us, right? You will have to pass through death to enter the gates of eternal life. That's the way that it is since the fall. And since you know that you must one day die, resolve today to live well. Resolve today to live in such a way that you'll be prepared to meet Jesus when that moment comes. Because when that moment comes and you're standing before Jesus, you want to be able to say, I gave everything I had. I have my eyes on you. And you want to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. If you want to hear him say that, you must do well. You must live with your eyes on Christ. Jonathan Edwards had this this list of famous resolutions, and one of them was this. Resolved that I shall live so as I shall wish I had done when I come to die. I want to be on my deathbed looking back with a clean conscience, with a peaceful heart, knowing I trusted Christ. I gave him my all, and I'm ready. I'm ready to meet him. Be ready to die. And finally, tell someone the good news. You are surrounded by people every day who don't have the same assurance in the face of death. They're terrified of death and rightly so. Because if they're not in Christ, if they haven't repented of their sins and turned to Jesus in faith and rested their lives and eternities upon his finished work, then they're under the wrath of God. And death is rightly terrifying to someone in that situation. Tell them the good news. Invite them to trust in Jesus Christ so that they will never die. You have that offer, that invitation to give. If you'll repent of your sins and trust in Jesus Christ for salvation, though you die, yet shall you live. He who lives and believes in Christ shall never die.
tell somebody the good news. Christmas is a time of really good news. Christ has come into the world to reverse the curse, to take upon himself all of the brokenness and the sin and the sorrow and the death that we experience in this life. And he's removed it. And he says, if you'll just come to me, if you'll just trust in me, I will take it for you. He comes to make his blessings flow as far as the curse is found. Let me close with this uh, quote from Nancy Guthrie, who's a Bible teacher and author. She's speaking of herself and her husband here, so just for context. Nancy says, My husband and I know that the day is going to come when our bodies will be planted like seeds in the darkness of the earth. It will seem to some as though our lives have come to an end, but we know better. We know that yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. The darkness of our graves will one day be pierced by the radiant light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The silence of our graves will be disrupted by his thunderous voice. He will call the dust of our dead bodies out of those burial plots and transform them to be like his own glorious body. Those two little plots of ground will not prove to be our final resting place. The blessing of his resurrection life is going to penetrate the earth in which we are buried, and we will be raised to life. Christian, this is your hope too.